0: Peter Williams from 1 o'clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Joining me now, the Democracy NZ candidate for the Waitaki electorate uh, in the forthcoming general election. He is a South Canterbury farmer and a former official inside the National Party, so he's... He's jumped the fence, so to speak, which is an appropriate metaphor for a man who is a farmer in South Canterbury. Roger Small, great to have you with us here on RCR.
1: Oh, thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me on. And, and yes, I'm, I'm a pretty tall guy. I offered on my name, so I can jump the fence easy enough.
0: <laughs> well, why mm. did you? Why did you leave the National Party? Because you were pretty high up uh, in the National Party at a local level, weren't you?
1: Um, yes um, but I've, I don't know I just got disillusioned um, with them they just seemed to be not listening to the to the grassroots I felt and um, and especially around environmental issues you know since I'm a farmer um, they appointed um, uh, commissioners into ecan and um, we were involved in our local catchment group trying to uh, develop a non- statutory plan to you know help our water quality and so on and then overnight they just decided that they would go down the statutory path and and we lost um, probably um, well we had 75 percent of the farmers involved and then all of a sudden a lot of those farmers lost faith and trust in, in the process and um, and left and it's taking a long time to get that you know trust back again. So um, so yes, I, that was the start of why I became politically homeless, but then this last three years, I suppose, has um, cemented that in terms of um, uh, the mandates and the behaviour of the politicians, um, especially when they wouldn't come out. Uh, not one of them, not from any party, come out and talk to those uh, people that were hurting that had gone to Wellington to protest for you know, uh, various reasons, but um, especially for me, the ones that have been hurt by the mandates or actually hurt by the you know, vaccine injured, um, I just thought it was disgraceful the MPs couldn't go out and listen to their concerns and yeah, but Matt, even uh,
0: but spot, Matt King uh, did, didn't he? Matt King is a former National Party uh, MP, went down to Wellington, uh, then as the leader of Democracy NZ, and uh, he was prepared to to talk to the protesters, wasn't he?
1: Yes, he was, and, uh, and so that's what... Um, that pricked my ears up. That he he went down there multiple times, and um and he didn't need security to walk through. He just um talked and listened to the people, and um even spoke a few times, I think. But uh, just showed that he had genuine empathy uh, for you know people's situation there. Yeah, which I thought was great.
0: Okay, can we uh, we'll we'll come back to. Vaccine mandates and the like very shortly. Can I just take you back, though, to the time when uh, ECAN was run by Commissioners Environment Canterbury, the Canterbury Regional Council? That was a National Party decision or a national government decision to remove the elected councillors. And when you think about it, that went on for 10 years, didn't it? I mean, that was an extraordinary abuse of the democratic process by the national government to... Uh, have no elected councillors running Environment Canterbury or the Canterbury Regional Council for a decade. Extraordinary, wasn't it?
1: Yes, it was. And, it, like, it, you know, there were some reasons they were having a little bit of trouble with, um, I suppose, water allocation issues. Um, but I suppose the problem that I find with the regional councils is that they have become so big in their... Like, South Canterbury has two people on that uh, regional council. So their voice um, for issues down in South Canterbury is um, sort of watered down. They don't have the say that they used to have when it was like a catchment board process where, you know, everybody, uh, well, you know, there was um, uh, more representatives um, from the local area having a say on the issues. And and I just feel like as a country that we're, you know, with all the centralisation all the time, we're, we're, communities are losing their voice
0: yes indeed because once we had catchment boards once we had rabbit boards i think in your neck of the woods because of uh, some of the the animals in the bush and in the hills you had wallaby boards uh, you had a wallaby board didn't you so that was all amalgamated many years ago now but are you saying that in the old days when you had local representatives on small local boards dealing with local issues things were a lot more efficient and and you've Already, I think, quoted uh, the example of the wallabies and and how they were controlled much better in days gone by.
1: Yes, definitely, Peter. They were, um, you know, it was farmers that were on those boards and they they knew exactly where those wallabies were and um, so they could direct the the shooters um, to those spots. And whereas now, you know, it's run from Christchurch and. Um, and, you know, those guys come down. They might fly in there in a helicopter even and and they don't take any rifles to shoot them while they go. They just go in there and count them and then decide, oh, we might have a poison or whatever uh, there. But, you know, the wallabies have got out of control and um, so now they've got a, they're got they having to put a fence up in Mackenzie to put a containment line in and then try and deal with the wallabies outside that containment line so, um, so it's definitely better for the local people to be in charge of, you know, their issues.
0: What do you think of uh, ECAN, the Canterbury Regional Council, having two Naitahu appointments on the council with, with full voting rights?
1: Yeah, well, from a democracy NZ point of view, we're about um, taking race out of everything and basing it on needs. So we don't think that there needs to be uh, you know, we're we're united as a country. We should be, and we don't really need to have separate uh, Maori representation. Like they're part of our community, and the and um, I know in our catchment group, we've got a couple of Maori people on that, and they're lovely people, and um and they're you know they're involved, and you know that's the the most important thing that. Um, as different groups of society are, are involved in the process but they don't doesn't have to be special privilege given to any group i don't think
0: absolutely right so let's go back to your attraction to democracy NZ which uh, sparked your interest because of the protest and because of matt king's presence there did you know matt king before that through your previous involvement with the national party
1: uh no i didn't that- uh know him as such. My wife uh Bruce knew him just a little because she had uh gone through police college uh with him, but she knew his sister uh uh better actually, uh because she had policed with her, but but um yeah, I hadn't had a lot to do with him, but I knew that he was from a great uh genuine family. Um, and yeah, at Lisa spoke very highly of them, so um so you know I, I just thought that um, he was the sort of guy that you know we need to be you know um, running the running our party.
0: Indeed, indeed. So uh, was your uh, attraction to the protest? Was it because you were anti-vaccination mandate, or did you just not want to take the vaccination yourself?
1: Um, well, I, I've always taken all the main, uh, you know, vaccines um, all my life. Um, but this one, because I suppose I'm a farmer, and I'm used to uh, weighing up risks because we've got risks with weather and and markets and so on. And then I'm also actually got my private pilot's license, so. Um, I've got a way up risk there but um, when it was coming out as an experimental jab and hadn't really been out for very long I was a bit hesitant uh, about taking it and then all the stories we heard of especially young people and I've got two uh, teenage boys and I was pricking my ears up because I wanted to keep my family safe and um, so I Decided in the end that no, um, you know, we're all fit and healthy people, and I thought the risks were minimal, yet uh, to not take it. Whereas if we had, I thought the risks were higher. So um, that's really the reason that um, we chose not to. And we had a lot of pressure to take it, but like everybody else did. And and I feel sorry for the ones that had to, you know, cow down to the um to the authorities or their businesses telling them they had to do it. Um, you know, um very tough decision to put your job on the line. And, you know, I know yourself, Peter, you've you've done that and, and um stood up against the system and um I think it's proving now to be you know, the right thing to have done, to have not taken it actually. Oh, absolutely. it never stopped stopped transmission, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I believe that as time goes on, we will will finish up on the right side of history. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Mm. So in your business running a farm uh, in South Canterbury, you'd have to have contact with people that you... Bought and sold stuff from for your farm, your your suppliers, and and also the people you you sell your your product produce to. Did you have any issues because you and your family were not vaccinated because of that?
1: Uh, no, we were like we were concerned that we would. We thought that at one stage the meat companies might say, "Well, the transport drivers can't come to your property." It, it almost seemed like that was the way it was headed. But luckily, common sense prevailed, and um, I think as farmers, we were probably the most fortunate of people uh, to get through that whole time. The only thing that cost us was going to get a haircut, or um, you know, going to the pub. Or, you know, those sorts of things. And, um, yeah, we um, we were fortunate, I think.
0: Yeah, because there was just, when you look back on it now, some of the restrictions put in place were just absolutely dopey, weren't they? Just extraordinarily stupid and restrictive. I mean, heaven forbid, a person couldn't play golf in the outdoors. It was just crazy. And then when you did go and play golf, I don't know whether or not you, you play the the, the most frustrating of all games roger but when i when, <laughs> when i went back to it uh when we were finally allowed back on the golf course there were no no flags no pins in the green because you might get the dreaded germ from touching a surface that somebody else had touched i mean it was just it was just absurd the restrictions that were put on people and frankly now from the distance of a couple of years it's just laughable isn't it
1: well, oh, well, it is. And then, you know, of course, going, you know, to a restaurant or whatever, and you walk, had to walk in with a mask, and then you got in there and had to take it <laughs> off. Well, that didn't make any sense to me either.
0: Yeah, I just don't know who made these rules up. I, I really don't. And and it was that uh, stupidity, that uh, illogicality that was behind what, it, what eventuated on the lawns of Parliament, on the grounds of Parliament in, in February of last year, wasn't it? Hmm.
1: Yeah, and no, like I just feel really, uh, I feel, um, I feel very sad for the people, lights of uh, Rory Nien's family, and and there's m- many more than just his family. Uh, you know, where he didn't want to take the vaccine, but um, but was coerced into do it to have a his own wedding, and um, and you know he was a, a young guy with the, all the future you know best of future ahead of him and um and that was that just like that and, and it was uh, sold to him as being safe and effective and it, and it definitely wasn't
0: yes well he was what an electrician or was he a plumber but he was a tradie a from plumber yeah, yeah. a tradie in Dunedin and I understand that you know his parents or his parents are now potential constituents of yours uh potential voters of yours in the Waitaki electorate
1: yes they are yes and um you Know they've they, they just um yeah they just have no faith in the government anymore, and and that's the thing about it for me, I suppose, um, and our family is that you know going through uh one having to have vaccines in the future, uh, we're going to be very very hesitant about it now. We've always had you know total faith in the health system and the vaccines we've had, but um, now you know that trust is gone.
0: Well, I think it's Beyond vaccines, isn't it, uh, Roger? I think it, uh, in many respects, extends to a lot of other medicines as well. I know that personally, uh, I, I'd be very suspicious about taking any kind of uh, shot in the future, whether it be a flu jab or a booster even for for tetanus, which you're supposed to get every five years or so. But I think is it, yep. it, it extends beyond the jab in the arm, doesn't it? It extends to uh, other medications as well, particularly when you... Read, You read stories from highly qualified medical specialists, cardiologists about things like statins and the like. I, 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 I get the feeling there's a real suspicion now uh, about a real cynicism about the pharmaceutical industry. Do you have that as well?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, part of it's because of the propaganda that's been um, thrown at us too, isn't it? It's, um, those people were shut down, you know, those very knowledgeable uh, people with high credentials that weren't allowed to speak. And um, and because of that, you know, I think, you know, just like you, we've lost total faith in that system, which is really sad. But yes. then on this other token that's driven us in a different path, I suppose, and we've become very aware of, you know the holistic uh, type of health. So yes, I know. So, you know I, I we're know going ex- down that, which yeah. is probably good.
0: I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, the the uh, the knowledge that you know we are we are gathering about vitamins, supplements, but just about eating good food and getting plenty of sleep and plenty of exercise, which is you know it's it's the the thing that has been taught to us from a very young age. But for some reason, the Ministry of Health and government health policy. Is not about promoting good, healthy lifestyles, is it? It's it's about taking drugs, and I just find that weird.
1: No, well, and then of course the therapeutics bill—they've you know introduced that and made it even tougher to get those vitamins and so on, which just makes no sense, you know, to me. It, you know, that's one thing at Democracy NZ we need to, you know, and I think probably the. Two of the bigger part, other opposition parties may. Um, I see they voted against it, so maybe you know that can be repealed very quickly.
0: Mm. Well, anybody would think the pharmaceutical industry was lobbying the government to bring in something to restrict people's ability to buy vitamin C or vitamin D or zinc or those sorts of things. Just saying.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm probably I'm sitting on the same camp as you, Peter. It's. Um, We've lost a lot of trust and, um, you know, it was a bit like Jacinda Ardern when she was um, speaking overseas. We needed to listen pretty hard to what she was saying because she wasn't going to tell us directly here. And I remember listening to her speaking to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in 2019, uh, the Goalkeepers Conference, when she was talking about um, introducing all the 2030 uh, UN agenda into our legislation. And also the declaration of rights of Indigenous people, and um, and that was the first time I'd really, you know, heard about that. A lot. I always thought it was a bit of a conspiracy theory, all this twenty thirty or twenty twenty one agenda. But um, I know it's happening, and um, and you know we're losing a lot of our property rights and and so on. You know, um, along with you know this. Uh, roll out, you know, it goes deep into the councils even.
0: Well, that's right. The, what is it called? The Natural and Built Environments Bill uh, which this government actually hopes to get through before the election to replace the RMA, which just seems extraordinary, Uh, particularly the supplementary order papers, which I think amount to 977 pages and the original bill's 1,300 pages. I mean, there's no way that 120 members or 120 representatives uh, in the House can read the whole bill and therefore vote on it with any specific knowledge, I wouldn't have thought. It's just impossible that they can have knowledge of that bill and all the implications inside it, buried deep inside it. Surely it's a very poorly written piece of legislation to be that long.
1: Oh, definitely. Like, it, you know, you can't trust that process, can you? Because they, you know, it was like with the Three Waters when the entrenchment, the, the opposition parties missed that initially, um, you know, because I think there's so much reading to do, just as you say. So, um, you yeah. know, I, I'm really concerned about it in terms of our representation for our for planning and so on, because our local district council, Waimati, uh, they will have one representative on a group of, Fifteen other territorial authorities, and um, and then uh, on the other side there'll be fifteen iwi appointed, plus I think a government a government appointee as well. So really, the voice of the your local district council has been, been lost. Yes. Yeah, so have you
0: happens. have you had need recently to need your council for any consents, any resource consents on your property, whether it be for uh, planting, for building? for any, any specific activity? Have you had to go through the consent process for anything recently, Roger? Uh,
1: no, but I can talk about a little of uh, the river beside home here. They take shingle out of there really to, uh, well, for roads to crush for, you know, uh, building roads, but also, um, you know, have issues of shingle building up and getting up to higher than the stock banks that are alongside the river.
0: What river and, is it, um, and- uh, Roger?
1: Uh, so that's the Wyo uh, River which runs up, starts in the back of the Hunter Hills behind Waimati and comes along the side of our property because we're, you know, down below the main road. Um, so we're well, well down the the system. But, um, but the shingle extraction's been stopped because um, when people went when the shingle extractors went to get consent, uh, the local wee we put a spanner on the works and and um and so for the last two years there's been no shingle extraction um out of there and I'm not sure where it's headed actually. Um, they think that um you know the their uh, water burials uh, from the past and uh, maybe there's some edges and so on um, in the river, um, that that's more important. And of course, you know, in a big flood, all of that stuff would have been well washed away or buried or whatever. So, um, yeah, um, and then they're talking about, um, you know, the river, the shingle moving down and, uh, and helping the coastal system um, and they they think that you know there shouldn't be any interference with that. They feel that um, the shingle extractors, um, you know, taking the shingle away, which is causing a coastal erosion. But you know, we live in a modern world where we have to we have to have our roads and our infrastructure. So precisely, what yeah. about
0: flood control? Has it made a difference to the flooding potential of the Waia River by by not? Uh, taking gravel from the riverbed?
1: Yes, in certain areas, uh, definitely. You know, that's going to be a major concern going forward. Well, it is now in just certain areas. Because um, you've but... had
0: some pretty heavy rain in Canterbury just in the last week or so, haven't you? I don't know whether or not it came down as far as you, but uh, certainly around Ashburton, it teamed down there for a while, didn't it? And the Ashburton River was put under real pressure yet again because of heavy rain. Mm-hmm. And I know that they battle like heck to, to maintain flood control in that river. So do you think potentially at your river you could have the same problem?
1: Yes, definitely. Yep. And it's like, you know, we, um, Cash Burton, they just had exactly the same issue. I don't know if they were stopped by extraction because of the Ewe or not, because I know ECAN was, you know, playing uh, difficult to uh, deal with in terms of shingle extraction. But whether their hands were tied because of Ewe, I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen the information on that, but I'd, I actually got an official information request and found out, you know, the reason why they stopped it on the Wai River. So,
0: Well, that is just remarkable, really, isn't it? Especially if it's endangering properties nearby uh, next to the river because of the lack of flood control. Uh, let's talk yeah. about then Democracy NZ's policies as regards to agriculture, to rural communities, because after all, that is what you do. You're a farmer, you're a businessman, you've, I presume, lived rurally all your life. Uh, so what's the main push as far as democracy, uh, NZ's agricultural policy is concerned?
1: Um, so we want to uh, repeal and replace the 2002 Carbon Act. Um, we feel it's not fit for purpose. Um, we feel that all this uh, for carbon forestry uh, around New Zealand is taking away valuable farmland and also uh, interrupting our, you know, lovely biodiversity that we have, and um, and so uh, we would like to uh, see that stop. Uh, we, you know, we see China um, emitting. And Well, they're emitting more and more carbon um, every day as they build these uh, coal-fired power stations, and so their fossil emissions per square kilometre are about 1,100 ton, whereas New Zealand, we're about 136 ton, and we've been stable uh, with those emissions, whereas China's been growing those emissions significantly. And um, so little old New Zealand, we're never going to change the climate um but the thing that we can do and that's what we're strong about with democracy nz is um is being resilient and adapting to uh weather events or even you know other natural disasters and so we would rather see uh more effort and the money going in that direction um rather than into what seems a bit like a ponzi scheme where the government have to interfere uh, with the carbon market to you know try and keep it afloat, um, we, and you know the, a lot of that money is going to end up overseas and and not for the benefit of New Zealanders.
0: Well, it just seems extraordinary that at uh, the Paris Agreement of 20 when was it 2015, 2016, 2015 I think it was New Zealand signed up to pay. billion a year for the next 10 years. And I know we're coming towards the end of that commitment now, but you can be sure that once we do come to the end of that commitment, we'll be up for even more money to be paying to the United Nations to be redistributed to countries under threat of sea level rise or the other impacts of climate change, unquote. So it appears to me, and maybe Democracy NZ takes this philosophy as well, uh, Roger, that in many respects New Zealand is just virtue signalling. We are we are trying to show off to the rest of the world by having these carbon zero policies, but at the same time we're putting big stress on farmers, who, after all, are the backbone of the economy. They produce food for the world and they make money for New Zealand. Do you agree with that kind of that kind of thinking?
1: Oh, to- t- t- totally, Peter. We're um, we just think that. Um Well, for a start, lights of even the methane measurement has not been uh, accurate when you look into the um, AR6 report of the UN IPCC. um, I think on page 1016 that they use a different metric for measuring methane, which um, the old metric overstated it by three or four times. And so it's the old metrics made um, our animals look bad in New Zealand when in fact actually they're not so bad in terms of emissions and and because we're so efficient as farmers now um, since we've become a market-driven economy um, with no subsidy, um, we're uh, the most well, one of the most efficient countries in terms of emissions in the world in our produce, so why would you stop that when um, another country who's not as efficient uh, will f- you know fill the place because people still need food. It just makes no sense. Indeed, were you
0: farming back in the 1980s, uh, Roger?
1: Um, I'm not quite that old. I was still probably at school then, <laughs> <laughs> Peter. But, but um, my father was, and um, and so I was brought up on the farm, so I knew exactly what was happening.
0: Yeah, so you would have, what do they call it, the ag sag. Once those uh, subsidies came off the Muldoon SMPs, the supplementary minimum prices came off, uh, once Roger Douglas became the Minister of Finance, that really put the pressure on farmers to become efficient, and to make money without government subsidies. So that would have been a testing time for farmers. But, yeah, it's been the making of the New Zealand farming industry, hasn't it?
1: No, definitely. Like, it, you know, um, I don't think... Like, at the time, there was a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, and um, maybe it was done a bit too quickly overnight um, and, you know, should have maybe happened over a couple of years to ease farmers into it, but... Um, and that's maybe probably the problem with our political system, but um, but you know I think in the long run it's been definitely the right thing you know for the for the agricultural sector at any rate.
0: Now, your main opposition in the Waitaki seat in the election will be Miles Anderson. Uh, he's also a farmer representing the National Party and I think he's South Canterbury as well, just a little bit further up Highway one from you at Southburn. So have you come across him in national party circles at all in your time there? Roger, uh,
1: Not in the National Party circles, but definitely with young farmers, uh, you know, back in the day uh, for me. And then, you know, just occasionally, socially, I've come across him. Um, so Miles is a, you know, he's another farmer just like me and is concerned about, you know, what's been happening to farming the last three years too. So, um, yeah, so we have, you know, some similar thoughts, but probably Probably um, we have, you know, quite different thoughts in terms of, uh, you know, some of the things that have happened the last three years.
0: Indeed. So how is your campaign going? Because it's geographically a very big electorate. You'll be, from your place, three hours to some of the other towns, places like Wanaka, Cromwell. Uh, It's a big drive from uh, South Canterbury, isn't it, to the other side of the electorate?
1: Yes, it's about three hours, and um, you know we have to do it reasonably regularly. But um, but it's just something that I'm um, decided that. Uh, well, when Matt King asked me to stand for democracy NZ, um that was a big a big call. But I probably actually, and I'll bring you into this, is that I saw you and like to Rodney Hyde and. And Matt King and those people, um, probably even Leighton Baker and Liz Gunn and all of those ones, you all stood up. You all had courage to um, to stand up to the system and what was happening. And um, and I felt like I was busy farming away here, but I just felt that I need to stand up now. It's my turn to um, to get some courage. Just from lots of you guys, and um, and make my stand. Like I'm, I am i I'm not a celebrity at, at all. I'm a just a just a farmer and um, a community minded person. And um, but. Um, yeah, I just hate to see where we're headed. So um, so that's really why I'm standing and I, I'm just going to put all the effort I can for a couple of months and um, we'll see where it ends up.
0: So what kind of reception have you had so far then, Roger? Because this is a national party seat. You well know that. Jackie Dean's got a sizable majority. Miles Anderson will be a hot favourite to take it again. How does a guy from a smaller party get any traction?
1: Well, that's the thing, and um, like, a, like, it's interesting though because um, there's both sides of the political. There's a lot of disillusioned Labor uh, voters this time round, and um, and you know they're looking for another party. They probably can't, you know, vote for National, but they, um, or Act, but they've been looking, and we've had, you know, quite a few of those people at our meetings. So, um, so it will be interesting to see how it, um evolves um i've just really in terms of my background being farming and you know passionate about the environment i see that as my strengths and um and you know i'll just um hopefully um come across enough uh, well enough to those people in those areas that um, they might give me their vote
0: and how are you funding this roger
1: um, just myself and, um, a couple of, you know, from a few donations of, um, of like-minded people. So it's, um, you know, it's not going to be a cheap exercise, but, um, we're probably running on the smell of an oily rag, but, um, you know, we're determined and, um, yeah, we'll just see where it goes.
0: So not a m- major party machine behind you because, uh, Democracy NZ's had its internal rumbles recently, hasn't it, with some uh, some candidates deciding to jump ship at a pretty inopportune time, I would have thought, for the unity of the party?
1: Yes, exactly, uh, Peter. That has made it very difficult um, in terms of getting funding. Um, but, you know, the candidates that are there now are very... Um, They're all towing the party line, as you could say, because we have to be disciplined... Uh, going it's a bit like a rugby team you know trying to win a game you've got to take a disciplined approach and and so that's what we're doing and we're just getting on with the job um, and you know I just uh, thank you for um, you know giving us time um, to to hear about our policies and our people and um, yeah, hopefully that sort of message will get out there and help us along the way.
0: Very good. Well, more than happy to help because I'm a great believer in open democracy and in everybody getting a chance to have their say in as many uh, platforms, on as many platforms as possible. So happy to have you, Roger. Uh, Best wishes for the next few months, next, uh, what, eight, nine weeks. I hope that. Yes. I hope that your driving is solid because you'll be going over the Lindus a few times and up and down that Waitaki (laughs) Valley. But good luck, and I hope it's a good campaign, and uh, best wishes for the the result.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Peter.
0: Peter Williams from 1 o'clock on RCR, Reality
1: Check Radio.